Um, I'm pumped to be back together. It's been a little bit of time with all the winter weather. Didn't know if we would make it this morning. And so I'm excited to be here this morning. I think if I was uh, only given one theme, one message for the rest of my life, uh, what I want to share this morning is in that theme, is in that message. And, um, and so I couldn't be more excited, actually, to share this morning. We're in a series for the next 11 weeks called Disciple, Following the Way of Jesus Together. Um, it's a series, but we're aiming for it to be the way we live our lives. Um, following the way of Jesus. Following because uh, it's not something you just passively enter into, but we actively are following a person named Jesus. It's a way, it's a way of life to follow him. It's not just once a week. It's everything and every dimension of our lives that gets touched, changed, transformed, and engaged in following Jesus. And we don't do this alone. The word disciple, we're using as a verb, the idea that we can disciple others as we are disciples. And so this is something we do together. Um, this is a great kind of tagline, following the way of Jesus together. But what does it mean? How do we do it? That's what we want to unfold over the next weeks. Um, and for my own life, I've been digging back into this, not making any assumptions about what I've been taught or what I've been taught that I'm not quite living and wanting to know how do I disciple? What does it mean? How do I do it? And that's what we want to jump into together. Um, there's a, a, just a simple picture that we're going to be unfolding for years to come. It's over on the left-hand side. And it's a picture that describes the Great Commission. And um, we'll be filling this picture in over the next couple of months together uh, just to be thorough. What does this look like? And I love that it's the picture of a house. I mean, that's the logo uh, that we have. Nava means to bring home. But the word house in Scripture doesn't mean a physical structure. It's translated from the word oikos or extended family. We're talking here about our relationships, the extended family households of our life. So I want to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. David did an incredible job, if you didn't get to listen, opening the series up a few weeks back, talking about how great this commission is. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, right there, what a statement. There's a king who makes a claim and he says, all authority in the cosmos is now mine. That's a pretty good guy to get to know. That's a pretty good guy to follow. That's a pretty good guy to be connected with on a daily basis. And I think we underestimate that the person that we wake up and talk to, the person that we emulate, the person that lives in us has all authority in heaven on earth. The most powerful political leaders, the most powerful business leaders on the face of the earth cannot make this boast. All authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. This is the one that we're following. At the end of this, and I'm going to read what's in the middle, is one of my favorite lines in all of the entire scripture. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many of you love the presence of God? I mean, I love the presence of God. I don't know if there is a greater promise of the presence of God in all of scripture than to those who will be and make disciples. If you love the presence of God, Jesus says, as you are disciples who are making disciples, my presence is always with you. So what we're about to read in between that's filling in this house is sandwiched by all authority in heaven and on earth. There is a king with all authority. And he says, I am with you. What I'm about to tell you, you can live it. You can see it. You can reproduce it. Why? Because I have authority and I am present to you. The greatest promise of the presence is for the disciple. I love that. He says, I am with you. So what is in the middle? He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. So this word disciple 
to listen to, love, and learn from Jesus in all of life, and all of life apprenticed to Jesus. All nations, every people group, every ethnicity on the face of the earth can follow Jesus, can become like Jesus, can love Jesus. This is his heart. Every vision, every occupation, every dream that you can possibly come up with fits nicely within this. It does not get any bigger than every single people group loving and following Jesus in all of life. Everything else falls within that. He says, now I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. At the top, there's a triangle. You see three pictures, family. You see a crown, which represents servants. And you see this dove, which represents ambassadors. He says to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Over the next today and next week, we're going to be unfolding. What does this mean? What does this look like to be immersed? That's what baptized means. To be immersed into the name, identity of a Father, Son, and Spirit until you're saturated with Trinity identity. What does it mean not just to be dunked in water, but to be immersed in the nature and identity of the Trinity? That is what we want to unfold. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, there's something tricky about the Great Commission. Our generation, at least the younger generation, has a knee-jerk reaction to almost every word in this sentence. Think about it. Authority. Now, that gives you the warm and fuzzies. Father. Do you know how many issues we have with our fathers? Teach. Command, obey. I mean, maybe the only thing we like in the whole sentence is with you. But then there's that always part, and all the introverts are like, really, seriously, God, you got to be with me all the time? And those with commitment issues are like, that's scary anyways. I mean, we have some work to do to get baptized into the one who is saying this to us. Because even the words in the sentence cause a visceral reaction. But, oh, he is good. And so over the course of the next months, we're going to be filling in that box with the commands of Jesus. And it's crazy. We're supposed to teach people to obey those commands. But if I was to ask you today, what has he commanded? Often believers look back at me and go, uh, to love. And, and you're right. If you see around that box, love God, love each other, love the world. I mean, all his commands are in that box with love. But there's specific commands, and here's the reality. If we don't know what they are, how are we going to live them? And if we don't live them, how are we going to teach other people to live them? So we want to train the church. This is like the big dream, right? Can you imagine with me, and this is possible because there's authority and presence, that we would see every household wrapped around, established in, devoted to and centered on Jesus and his way? What if fathers were teaching their children and their households and their extended households how to actually live the way of Jesus? That is why we're here, to teach and live the way of Jesus until the world looks like him. Can you imagine with me households ordered around Christ established on Jesus. And if you see at the bottom there, Jesus is the foundation. We say this often, the vision is Jesus. What do we mean when we say that? Is that a clever slogan? Well, hopefully, but what does it actually mean? When I say the vision is Jesus, this is what I mean by it. This is what I believe the scripture means by it. When we see Jesus, we finally see perfectly who God is and what God's done. When we see Jesus, we see who God is and what God's done fully, forever. But we also see who we are and what we're called to do. When we say the vision is Jesus, we mean we see who God is and what he's done, who we are and what we do. And that's what this house is all about. So we want to unfold that. This morning, uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at this identity that we have baptized into the Father. Baptized into the Father. 
And the, the aim for this morning is for you to catch an imagination of your life and a new experience. What would it look like for you to be dripping with the Father's delight? To be saturated with his affection and love? Do you have a picture of your life and even more than a picture, an experience of being utterly and totally loved by the Father? We're talking about being baptized into the name of the Father. When I met Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit, July the 5th, 1998, I had an incredible encounter with love. It was amazing. He awakened my heart. He changed my trajectory. I knew that I had met a God of love. But I also began to feel that I had a great purpose in life. There was like this huge battle before the 17-year-old Adam, you know? And, and I was going out there to conquer, and my thought was... Okay, I got this love of God thing. Now let's go do something great. There was these two others. I'm going to set up a video. You can bring that up. There's these two others. And um, some of you have seen this classic piece of cinematography uh, and, and glory. And these two had a battle before them. And, um, well, well, we'll just let it unfold. You guys can, you guys can check this out. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... <laughs> Felicidades. Okay. It's, it says so much. Getting baptized in the Father is neither quick nor partial. These guys had to face Satan's great cavemen. It was a battle before them. Um, I'm just so aware when we say baptized in the Father that some of us have received the going underwater to say that we are dead to ourselves and coming up out of water to say we will live a whole new life. But I am so aware that, that this journey of being baptized into the Father is not just a moment in water. It is all of our life until we are immersed and saturated. And it is not just partial, and it is not just something we get out of the way so we can do great things. I used to think it was something that you checked off to get to the important things of life. And the Father started to say, I'm never going to change the subject. The reality is we cannot reach the end of God. And we cannot reach the end of love. Because God is love. We are called to grasp the height and width and breadth and depth of this love. To know this love that is beyond knowledge. And to be filled with the fullness of God, which is this love. To be saturated. It is neither quick it is not partial. It is all-consuming, and it is the invitation of our lives. This beautiful scripture, 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. I don't know if you've ever considered that question. I've been just sitting with that one question. How great is the love the Father has lavished on me? 
I think this is a question worth pursuing all the days of our lives. A question that we can't reach the end of. How great is the love of the Father? That's about this absolute quantity and quality of love. How great is it? How lavish is it? It's been given to you. This morning is about unfolding and beginning to answer this. Some of you who have been around for a while know that the last 10 years of our lives have been spent pursuing this one question. Others of you have come in the last year. Maybe you've experienced LTS where you've begun to dig into the, the, the deep love of the Father, to be baptized in the Father's love. But I believe that even in a moment, you can begin to experience the power of this love. And this morning, we want to dig into a question that I hope will absolutely take hold of your heart all the days of your life. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us? John begins to answer the question. He says, you are called the children of God. That is what you are. To say that, to believe that to the core of your being is the foundation of all that you are. It is the reason that you and I exist. How great is the love of the Father? How great is the love of the Father? How great is the love of the Father? How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us? We ask now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know something that we are way too familiar with. That we would know it beyond the knowledge in our head. That we would grasp its infinite dimension. That we would be filled with its reality. We're asking for that today. I think the greatest answer to this question comes in Jesus. If you ask how great is the love the Father's lavished on you, the place to look is the vision is Jesus. God has shown you how much he loves you in Jesus. And not only shown you in Jesus coming, but shown you in the very life that Jesus lived. I want to talk about just two events in Jesus's life that really symbolize almost the whole of his life. One is a river and the other is a desert. A river and a desert. Many of you will know what happened in that river. It's an incredible moment in history. We pray it over our kids every single week. When we baptize people in water, we speak it over people as a family. The same words the Father spoke over the Son. But sometimes we don't think that there was a long road to that river. A really long road, a road that was 30 years long. God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth. He was a father who sent his son. And he had 33 years to save the planet. And for 30 of those years, I am amazed, not by what is written, but by what isn't written. It is incredible to think about God living on this planet, Jesus of Nazareth, in an ordinary blue-collar job, growing up in a family as a brother, as a son, working with his hands day in and day out, experiencing the goodness of creation. There was this slow, long, patient road to the river. And every day of those 30 years was about the revelation that you and I were born to receive. The revelation that needs to become the foundation and motivation for everything that we are and everything that we do. The long road to that river every single day was about the Father's incredible love for the Son. His extravagant delight. Why did God take 30 years to lay the foundation of belovedness in the Son? 33 years to save the planet. And 30 years were about the unfolding of secure sonship. We know the story 
There was a day when he would wrap up his apron that he had worked with, and he would go down the journey to that river, and he didn't show up and go, the Savior's here. He stood in the back of the line. You can imagine John, sweaty in the sun, baptizing person after person, said the masses were coming out. And there's Jesus, having waited for this moment all of eternity, waiting in line. Can you imagine what was going through the heart of the Father? What was going through the mind of the Son? 30 long, slow years soaking in. I know I'm my Father's. I know who I am. I know what my identity is. He had never done a miracle, never done anything impressive. In fact, they would say, this is just the carpenter's son. They didn't even know who he was, those who grew up around him. He lived an ordinary life. But what was so extraordinary about those long, slow years to the river was every day was being saturated in what was about to crescendo him from heaven, crown him from heaven. He gets up finally to the front of the line and he sees John the Baptist standing there. And John starts backing away in the water. I imagine him with tears running down his face because he knows this is the moment he was born for. And John says, no, you baptize me. And Jesus goes, no, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It is right. Now Jesus is entering into a baptism of repentance. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. How humble is this king? He's there because you and I need to know what it looks like to turn away from our own desires, our own wants, our own will, and turn to the Father with all that we are. Because every day on that road, he had been submitting to his Father's delight and his Father's discipline. He had been being transformed and changed in that sense in more and more of the Father's love. It said he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. How is the perfect Son of God growing? Oh yes, he's growing in love, being baptized in the Father. And John baptizes the Son. And as he comes out of the water, it says for the first time since the garden, the whole Trinity joins the party on earth. The Spirit can't take it anymore. Bodily comes out of heaven and lands on the Son of God. And then the Father, with an exclamation, rips open the heavens and proclaims. He doesn't say, this is my miracle worker, or this is my Savior, or this is my justice bringer. He says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When heaven rips open, all of eternity, the Father's been waiting to speak. And now we know what heaven is. It's filled with a Father whose affection can't be resisted anymore, who's coming down to baptize His Son. He takes the orphaned humanity who's always felt rejected and says, you're my beloved. He takes the slave and humanity earning and performing, trying to live the law but can't. And he says, I am well pleased with you already. Don't you see? You're my beloved. I'm already pleased with you. The revelation in the river was a revelation that he had been soaking himself in for 30 years. The Father is not in a hurry. He wants to root us and ground us in this revelation. Not just for ourselves, but for the world that does not know his affection. That does not know his love. What would that have felt like? For Jesus to receive the love and affirmation of his Father, it's unconditional. It's not tied to his power, his miracles, his ministry. It is his being to be baptized in the Father's love. Baptized in belovedness. But the Spirit has to show us this picture of what it looks like to live out delight. It says immediately takes him from the river of delight to the desert of discipline, of testing. The Spirit led him there to that place. You're like, oh, God, you're not good. 
40 days without food in his weakness, deeply challenged. He wasn't doing it as the son of God. You try to go 40 days in a desert on water in your humanity. He didn't skate through it in divinity. He was absolutely in the same agony we would be in in that desert. And then comes an enemy. There is a battle for your belovedness. There is a war for your attention and your affection. And the enemy comes, and what is the first thing that he says? If you are the Son of God. For those 40 days, Jesus had been meditating on the last thing he heard, ripped open from heaven. You're my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the enemy comes immediately and says, If you're God's Son, are you really God's Son? Have you ever felt that question come into your heart? Does he love you now? Are you his beloved? If you have to go through this, are you his beloved? And Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, man does not live on bread alone, right? But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Jesus had not been fasting in that desert. He had been feasting on his father's affection. He had been feasting on belovedness. And so he says, essentially, I don't need to self-provide. I don't need to make my own bread out of stones, make my own way in the world. I don't need to do that because I'm satisfied. I don't need to self-provide. I am satisfied. You see, the enemy comes to us and says, make your own way. Go ahead. And those who aren't satisfied in the love of the Father will make their own way. They'll do it themselves. The enemy's got more. He goes, do you want success? I can give you notoriety. I can give you upward mobility. I can give you a name. You know, just worship me. Jesus says, he already has my affection. I don't need to worship. Worship the Lord your God only. The enemy will come offering for you to self-protect, self-satisfy. He'll offer you success. He'll offer you your own path. But over and over and over, Jesus refutes him in every way with, I am the beloved. I trust him. I don't need to throw myself down and test him. I trust him. I don't need to self-provide. I'm satisfied. I don't need your success. I know who I am already. I know what my Father's given me. I already have an inheritance waiting for me. I don't need to grasp for it. And what you see in this river and in this desert becomes the whole life of Jesus. What does it look like to be baptized in the Father? What does it sound like to be baptized in the Father? It looks and sounds like Jesus. It looks like security. Do you hear him saying, Abba, Father? That is a man secure in love. It looks and, and it sounds like Abba, Father, like security. If we are not secure, we become afraid and we fear there's no strength or courage to go out and follow him into the risk of the world. Sonship looks like security. It looks and sounds like belonging. Listen to Jesus' words. The Father is always with me, and I am never alone. Belonging. Belonging with the Father and belonging in a family. Some of us all our lives have felt like we don't belong. That is something the Father wants to impart to our hearts deeply. And the Son Jesus lived in belonging, saying, I'm never alone. I'm not rejected. I'm not alone. I belong to the Father. I and the Father are one. The reality is if we don't have belonging, we begin to compete and compare ourselves to others. We're looking for significance in some other way. 
What does sonship look like? What does it sound like? It looks and sounds like Jesus. It looks and sounds like this deep, beautiful trust. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus would say. Those who are not secured and baptized in the Father, they don't trust. They try to make their own way. It looks and sounds like this deep, beautiful, and lasting rest. When we're at rest, we don't have to grasp and strive and make our own way in the world. Jesus would say, my yoke is easy. I, I do whatever I see him doing. I trust. It looks and sounds like Jesus. It looks and sounds like servanthood, this idea that Jesus says, I know where I'm going and I know who I am so I can take off my garment, lay down my position and serve you. But when we're not in sonship, we put ourselves first instead of serving. The calling is to look and sound like Jesus, to be secure, to live in belonging, to, to live in trust that leads to obedience, to be a servant. This is the marks of Jesus's baptism in the Father. This beautiful road of living in delight, but also of walking through hardship and testing and allowing it to transform him in trust. I want to put these two words up, delight and discipline. And we're going to essentially spend the rest of the morning here. If I think about sonship, this is really important for me. I think of it like a coin with two sides. And on one side of the, of the coin of sonship is delight. And delight is, is the, the first priority of the Father's baptism. To unfold his love and his affection and the depth of what that looks like. But those who are loved by him, who are delighted in him, on the other side of that coin of sonship is this word discipline. Those who are being transformed into his likeness. And, and often we want to receive his delight, but we don't want to respond to his discipline. But it's one reality in the baptism of the Father is delight and discipline. And, and I put these words to be saturated in affection, but welcoming formation. When I think about being baptized in the Father, it's these two realities. The delight that we see in the river and the discipline that we see in the desert. The delight that we see empowering every hard testing moment of Jesus' life. 30 years for that, so that he could walk through everything that he needed to walk through, everything that the enemy threw at him, everything that the world threw at him, to be baptized in the Father. I want to start with delight. Psalm 149.4 says, God delights in his children. God delights in his children. I told you a little bit of my story, my whole life. I had this deep longing in me that I believe is in the core of every person. And I kept trying to figure out where I could get it fulfilled. And the night I encountered Jesus, he said, you've tasted the world's love and it has broken your heart. And I had never heard anything more true that I identified with person after person that I had tried to pour my love into to get this love back failed over and over and over again. Feeling distant from my family often and feeling heartbroken over and over by the people that I trusted. There was this ache in me to know that I was delighted in. At the core of every human being is an unquenchable longing to be someone's favorite. I have sat with people in deep pain saying, I don't know if I'm anyone's favorite. I don't know 
if anyone actually sees me and celebrates me and loves me? This is the question. How great is the love of the Father? Does anybody actually value me? Love me? And every human being on this planet will search with longing until that is somehow satisfied. Because it is what we were created for. It is what we were created with. The next sentence the Father said is, Now you will taste of my love and I am never going to leave you. It was such a powerful experience as the Holy Spirit began to fill me. And I realized the love of God is not a concept. It is a person. The love of God is actually come to live inside of us. Here's the truth of your life. You will never be more of a son or a daughter than you are right now sitting in these chairs if you have given your life to Jesus Christ. You will never be more of a son or a daughter The only question is, will you enjoy it? Will you experience it? Or will you live in the Father's house like an orphan all your life who says, I kind of know God is love and loves, but I don't know in me that I am the favorite of the Father. I don't know that until I'm secure. I don't know it until I belong. I don't know it until I trust. I don't know it until I can serve other people. I don't really know if I'm his delight. And we can live all of our lives without that experience. You'll never be more of a son or a daughter than you are right now in this moment sitting there. But the question is, will you come experience and explore all that that means? The delight of God is an objective historical fact of flesh and blood, bleeding and dying on a cross for you. Romans 5.8 says this. It is an incredibly powerful scripture. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for you, not in a good idea, not in a poem sent from heaven, not in some distant voice, He demonstrated his love for you and me as a historical fact of flesh and blood. He suffered, he bled, and he died on a cruel device of torture called a cross. He loves you right now no matter what you've done. That is a fact no matter if you feel it in this room or not. His love is flesh and blood suffering. His love for the world is more than a thought or a good idea, more than a Hallmark card. He suffered and loves you to death. Jesus demonstrated his love for you in dying on the cross. He had planned it, says Ephesians 1.5, before the creation of the world to adopt you as sons. And he showed it concretely forever on a cross. He loves you. I don't know if even for a moment you can come back in touch with, as he's dying on the cross, you're the idea in his mind. You're the delight of his heart. You're the joy and his affection. He delights in you. It is a concrete fact that you've probably heard since you were in Sunday school. Oh, that the Spirit of God would come into this place because there's a world that doesn't know that a man came from heaven to die because he loved us. He loves us and delights in us. The Father's delight looks like the death of God. But I'm so thankful that God didn't leave that in a theology book or even in the scriptures. But he said, Romans 5, I'm going to pour out my love into your heart by the Spirit. You know that the Holy Spirit has come to live in you who have made Jesus the Lord, and he's a well-worn path to the Father. He relays the thoughts and delight of the Father directly into your spirit over and over and over again. Time and time and time again, the Father has intimate thoughts to relay to your heart. 
The Spirit wants to convey to the depth of your being that you're his delight. It says the Spirit testifies to your spirit. He speaks your name. And he welcomes you to receive delight, to sit with him, to listen to his affection, and to experience what was a concrete fact from the inside. That's why the Spirit is there. It's his eternal joy and job description to bring forth confidence and love out of your being. He wants to encounter you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says he set his affection on you. Zephaniah 3.17 says he's rejoicing over you with singing. I wonder what song he's singing over you of delight. I asked him one time, you know, what, what are you actually singing over me? Is it a generic song? And I began to listen as he sang to me. Last night as I was putting my girls to bed, they asked me again out of nowhere, a song that I've sang to them when they were growing up. And little Noel said, Hey, would you sing that endless ocean song over me? You are the endless ocean, bottomless sea. There's no end to the affections you have for me. You can't reach the end of his affections, his delight. There's a song being sung over your spirit. He's inviting you, welcoming it. This beautiful delight. Family, there's a battle for your belovedness, for your affection, a battle for your attention. He is inviting you to be saturated until you're dripping with delight. What would it look like for everywhere you go, for you to overflow with delight on a world that doesn't know they're somebody's favorite. Have you ever sat with someone who had that question and seen their tears? There are people in your workplace all around you who do not know that they are loved by God. And when you are baptized in the Father, delight is spilling out of your life for others. There's a world waiting to know that they are delighted in that there's somebody's beloved. But there's the other side of this situation. I'm not going to spend long in it, but I felt the Father wanted me to mention it, this side of discipline. Because disciples, the root word of discipline. Hebrews 12 says this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirit and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little bit as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those trained by it. It is the delight of the Father that allows you to walk through the hardship of life. It is the delight of the Father that allows you to perceive rightly the hardship of life. Those who are anchored in secure sonship, when trials and hardships hit, it says that they take a perspective and they say, I consider this hardship my discipline for my good so that I become more like the son Jesus as a son of the father. Here's what I mean by that. God does not bring every hardship in your life. Amen. There's an enemy who hates you. There's a world. There's our own decisions. God doesn't initiate every hardship. But God will take every hardship and leverage it for your good and redemption so you more rightly relate to him as a son or daughter. He will take every test and every trial if you refuse to hit the eject button and self-provide like Jesus did not do in the desert. If you refuse to somehow self-medicate and get out of the trial and out of the test and you go, in the middle of this hardship, I am delighted in. And you anchor yourself back in delight and your perspective changes on the test and the hardship. And you go, oh, 
I am receiving your pleasure so I can press through this pain. I'm receiving your delight so I can endure this discipline. You see, it takes anchored connection, dripping with affection to be able to welcome correction and formation. And it says Jesus himself learned obedience by the things he suffered. Sometimes we go, oh, you love me, you love me, I do whatever I want. He goes, no, if I love you, my love will change you and you will want to obey my commands. You will want to walk in my ways. You will not do whatever you want. You will only do what you see me doing. You're anchored in my delight. You're saturated in my affection. You're immersed in a new identity so that you can walk through whatever desert the Father's taking you through. Right now, Nava's in the desert. But you know what? We're living out of a trust account of a decade of delight. Every day I wake up and I rehearse the Father's affection over my spirit. He loves me. Oh, the circumstance isn't going how I wanted it to go. Listen, endure the hardship as discipline. You can either endure it as this sucks or endure it as a son. There's two options. Oh, why is it happening to me again? No, this is for your good. It's proving your sonship if you're disciplined. In fact, if you're not walking through discipline, it says you're not a true delighted in son or daughter of the father. Because every father does this, not just for the sake of it, but for your good that you may be like him. So there's two sides to sonship, discipline and delight, a river, a desert, Family, we're about to go into the commands of Jesus. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about obeying the word. We're going to talk about repent and believe. We're going to look deeply into the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at love. But can I tell you something? If you are not secure in delight, and not responding to discipline, you will pray like a beggar trying to get a distant dad's attention. You will give to earn a blessing back rather than for the blessing of others. You will make disciples to earn some kind of a merit badge in heaven instead of because you're loved. You will do it for affection instead of from affection. Right? Every command that we will walk out, if it is not based in sonship, baptized in the Father's belovedness, will become some kind of earning, performing slavery. Some kind of way to get God's attention that you already have. But he's singing over you. He loves you. He's speaking right now into the middle of the test and trial. And he's going, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm with you, and you can make it. We're going to talk about that beautiful house. But we have to be baptized into beloved first. To walk in this way is a long, lifelong process. It is the joy of our existence. It is the privilege of being alive. I sit with the Lord in the morning, open journal, open heart, and he tells me he loves me day after day. He loves to say my name, and he says my name like no one else. He tells me he loves my heart, and usually I get a wink on that because I know I've missed something, but he loves my intention. I have thousands of pages of journal entries of the Father speaking that he loves me. And he loves you. He's inviting us to be anchored in his delight again. To receive it. And I believe that it is more than knowledge. And I believe that it is something that is infinite in dimension. I believe you cannot reach the end of it. But I also believe that you can have an encounter in a moment that anchors it. I remember coming forward almost like my feet were leading my mind to an altar call that wasn't even about the Father's love. 
And there stood two older gentlemen, and they held me up as they began to pray, and I began to weep and weep and weep as the Father told me he loved me more than I could ever imagine. I go back to that moment. It was just a moment in a silly sermon. Off topic, I went up, but the Father had a divine appointment, a head-on collision to show with me again, I love you, son. Just two weeks ago, I was at a pastor's conference. There was a guy sitting there. He prays through the night. That's his job. A simple devotion, almost a sleepy devotion was given, but a truthful devotion about being beloved. We got into these little pastor circles. Anyone knows about pastor circles? No one's ever vulnerable. And the guy says, he looks at me across. He says, what he's talking about, I've never understood or received. I said, oh, give me your hands. He's six foot five. He was a football, college football player. I take his hands. He, I said, look me in the eye. And I just began to say, repeat after me. I am my father's favorite. He started to try to say it and he just broke. Boom. Line after line. We sat there for 20 minutes as this massive guy that I was afraid to even take his hands, they were like engulfing me, is weeping like a little baby because it was never implanted in his heart. Do you know you can pray as your job through the night and not receive the baptism of belovedness? You know you can go to Bible studies every night of the week and miss the point. Jesus came to reveal the Father he came to receive the Father's delight, and he came to share the Father's delight in your very spirit. And even in a moment, you can receive an encounter. And I've received encounter after encounter throughout the years where God came again and said, what you know, I'm going to take down deeper, another level. Because I love you, and I'll never get tired of saying it. I love you. Yeah? Let's stand together. We're going to receive this. If I can have the, those who are going to minister this morning come up and the team. I want to respond firstly, just all of us. I am so excited to be a part of a family of beloved sons and daughters. The reality of this message is that we have to get it individually to be found in the Father, but we also catch it corporately to be formed in a family. I want us to close our eyes and open our hands if we want to receive this afresh. And I'm just going to lead us all in this. Just so you know I'm not tricking you, what I'm going to pray about is receiving delight and then responding and welcoming discipline. And if it's in your heart to receive this afresh, I want you to respond and just pray out loud with me. The beautiful thing is he's sending Nava to bring home a world that doesn't know this reality. But we cannot give what we do not have. And I don't mean have it once. I mean have it over and over and over and over endlessly in the Holy Spirit. So if you would pray with me. Father, Daddy, thank you that you love me. Today I invite you by the power of your Spirit living in me to baptize me in belovedness, to saturate me in affection, to speak my name. To open my heart With your delight, I receive like it was the first time your love, Dad. Come fill me. Fill me with your love. Saturate me with your love. Secure me as a son. And Father, I want to trust you to discipline. I want to see hardship. 
as discipline, as you're good for me. I welcome you to teach me in these places how to be beloved. I welcome your discipline. Baptize me, Father. We're going to start to worship that song, Abba, Father. Here's the reality. Some of us have known this place of love, beloved, but the world's beaten it out of us. You've known it, but daily life has beaten beloved out of you. The wind is out of your sails. The revelation is not present and on fire. God says he wants it there for you. He, he wants nothing more than to love you. There's others in this room that you would say, I've never been baptized in love and belovedness. I've never had that experience. As we begin to worship, I want to welcome you to come up to these beautiful family members who I know have been baptized in love over and over. And these are here to represent the Father, maybe in a hug, in a blessing. They don't need to hear your story. They're just going to stand with you to love you and bless you in belovedness. So I'm going to welcome you. If you want prayer this morning, we're going to worship out of this song, Abba. Some of you may want to stay and just sing and meet the Lord, but I want to welcome you to just start coming up now. If you want to receive the baptism of the Father. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. Anyone? Thank you, Father. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Even in a moment, he can confirm it again. We welcome the endless waves of your affection. Daddy, you delight in us. Baptize us again in the Father's unconditional love. Some of us are in the desert and we need to actually stand into confident sonship again. As we sing this, it's like standing in the desert, declaring our weak knees, our weak hands. We're declaring again what we know to be true. There's like a grabbing hold of it this morning. He really actually wants to baptize us.